Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that we can uh, be here together to worship God. Before we get into our lesson, I do want to take a moment to uh, remind everyone, encourage everyone, uh, we are in a growing community, and a part of this growing community, we are blessed to be a, a growing church. It's great to be a part uh, of the Lord's church, and it's great to be a part of the family that meets here at Jefferson Avenue. In order to help us to build those relationships, especially for folks that are newer coming in, uh, we have had some care groups going on, and we have care groups going on now. I want to remind everyone that we've got those, and that if you're interested in being a part of those, we've got a, an online interest form, or there are actually some copies, uh, some paper copies out in the foyers that you can pick up. Uh, but if you've got your phone right now, if you want to scan that QR code, you can do that. It's also in our bulletin. Uh, this, the QR code is there if you want to do that online, or if you would like to fill those out on paper form. Again, just grab one of those, turn those in. We're just trying to figure out who all would be interested uh, in being a part of these groups. These meet uh, outside of worship times and are great opportunities for us to uh, gather together to be uh, mobilized for uh, service opportunities, for Bible studies, uh, and just to build relationships to encourage one another. So if you're interested in that, uh, please take advantage of those uh, opportunities. Make sure that you let us know that you're interested so that we can uh, get everyone who's interested uh, to be a part of one of these groups. Uh, This morning we're in John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. Turn to that on your phone or in your own copy of God's Word. If you don't have a copy, uh, there are some black books, the Bible, uh, on the back of the seat in front of you. And if you want to turn uh, in, in those pages, it's on page 895. Page 895. This morning, our lesson is entitled, Nobody Believed. Nobody Believed. And we're going to walk through John chapter 9 and see about four different groups of people uh, or individuals that didn't believe. And we want to talk about where we might fall into all of these groups at various times. And we want to take at the end of the lesson about four different lessons that I want you to walk away with here. So let's start in uh, John chapter 9 and we'll read verses 1 through 7. And the first point is the apostles didn't believe that he, this blind man, this man born blind, had much value. Let's read John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he, Jesus, was passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples were asking him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this was so that the works of God might be manifested in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the saliva and mud, mudded, rubbed, excuse me, uh, the clay on his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. So it's probably a, a passage, a, a story that you're somewhat familiar with that, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, you know, spitting on the ground in the mud and making this, uh, this, this, uh, this clay and putting it on the, uh, the, the blind man's eyes. And probably you think the same thing that I think. Why in the world would Jesus do that? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or maybe you just think that's nasty. And I don't think that any of those things are necessarily wrong. Those are things that if someone did that to us, we would be a little hesitant. Uh, about what what's going on here so let's let's notice a few things first of all the apostles didn't believe that this blind man had much value and i would say they would be they were blinded and and this is going to sound really bad especially in our culture today but the, the apostles the the disciples were blinded by prejudice the apostles were blinded by 
prejudice. And this prejudice actually came from religious teaching, but it was a, a misrepresentation or a, a misapplication of Old Testament teaching. You see, in the Old Testament, we know that, uh, that the Bible teaches that God says uh, that the sins of the father would be visited upon uh, their children to even the third and fourth generation. Uh, but some people took that to mean and some people even today take that to mean uh, that when people are born, they're carrying the sin of their parents upon them. And that's never what the Bible teaches. The Bible has never taught that, Old Testament or New Testament. What the Bible does teach is that a parent's sin or a grandparent's sin or anyone's sin, the consequences of that sin certainly are suffered by those who come after them. Uh, you can think of that as, as a nation. You can think that in your families. You can think that with individuals. When I sin, when I, if I make some, some bad decisions in my life, my family is going to suffer for that. And maybe my children, and perhaps even depending on what the, the sin is, maybe my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren may suffer the consequences of this. But the apostles, and in reality, most of the Jews in the first century had come to this conclusion and particularly the Sadducees would have been would have thought this way uh, because they were very focused on earthly things and didn't believe in an afterlife. Uh, so they would have thought that if someone is is well off, if someone is rich, if someone is blessed financially or blessed in, in any way, they would have thought, well, this person must be a righteous person because God has blessed them in this way. And inversely, if someone was poor or someone was going through some sort of difficulty like this man, not only was he blind, but there is the distinction that's important in this story. Not only was he blind but what he was born blind they say okay well he must have sinned he must have been born in original sin again not a teaching we find in the bible or his parents must have sinned and because of that he is bearing the punishment of his parents sins and jesus very quickly squashes that thought he says no this man is not was not born blind because of any sin that he committed before he was born that's not possible nor did his parents sin, and that's why he was born blind. That's, that's not the reason it happened. And specifically for this man, at least, but I think an application we can make is the circumstance that this man found himself in, that he was born into, or perhaps even that all of us could find ourselves in, when we're in the midst of a bad circumstance or situation, but certainly specifically for this man, what does Jesus say? It says in verse number three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this is so that the works of God might be manifested, might be shown, might be displayed within him. You see, the apostles and many of the Jews, most of the Jews during the first century would have looked at this man and thought not only is he blind and that devalues him because now he's just a beggar, so he doesn't have much value societally, but also he doesn't have much value spiritually because either he must have sinned, born in sin, or his parents must have sinned, and that's the reason he's suffering this consequence. And Jesus says, no, that's not how this works. That's not how this situation, certainly for this particular man, happened. So they were blinded. They didn't believe that this man had much value. They were blinded, perhaps, by prejudice. But Jesus performs this miracle. And it's interesting, again, why, why did Jesus... You know, we, we read other stories of Jesus' miracles, uh, and Jesus simply says the word, and people are healed, right? Uh, people, uh, you remember the woman who had the, the issue of blood? She just comes and, and, and touches the, the hem of his garment. Jesus seemingly doesn't do anything, and she is healed. So why did Jesus, in this instance, take the time to spit on the ground, to form the, the saliva and the dirt into some sort of clay and to, to rub it onto this man's eyes. Why, why did he do it? Could, couldn't Jesus have not have just said, receive your sight and be made well? We would certainly think so. 
We certainly think that that could have happened. Why did he do that? Well, I think it's important, and, and perhaps in, in other lessons that we'll, we'll talk about in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll see this point as well. But Jesus did the work, right? Th- this man didn't do anything to, to receive his sight. He didn't do anything to heal his blindness, did he? No, he didn't do anything that healed his blindness. Jesus did the work, but he also told the man, if you want to receive your sight, go and do this. Go and wash, go and wash that mud, that clay from your eyes. So the opportunity was given. Do you believe that I'm going to do this for you? Do you believe, do you have faith that I'm going to to heal you in this way? Well, if you do, then you've got to be willing at least to go down to this pool and wash your eyes out. Why did Jesus do it that way? I don't know exactly why he did it that way, but perhaps that's one reason. Certainly that's an application. Certainly that is what happened. He gave the man the opportunity. If the man hadn't gone to the pool and washed his eyes out, would he have received his sight? I don't know, but Jesus told him to do it, and he did it, and he received his sight. It's an important application for us to think about in our lives today as well. Let's notice, secondly, that the people, uh, the people around him, the people that when this man comes back after receiving his sight, they couldn't believe it. Uh, they, they, they struggled with this. And it says in verses 8 through 12, it says, Therefore the neighbors, who, those who had previously saw him as a beggar, they saw the blind man, they knew this man that was born blind. They were saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but it's one who looks like him. But he, the blind man, kept saying, No, I am the one. So they were saying to, the, to him, how then did your, were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and rubbed it on my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. And so I went and washed away. I went away and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Now, this is interesting. It doesn't just say that the people that were around him. What does it say? Did you notice uh, again in verse number eight? It says, therefore, the neighbors and those who had previously known him as a blind man. These neighbors couldn't even tell if this was the same guy. They were blinded to the needs of someone who they saw probably every day. Does that happen to you sometimes? You know, maybe, maybe you're traveling around and, or maybe you're in a different town. You know, we've, we've been to, we've traveled to different cities and, and noticed, man, this, this city's got a, a pretty large homeless population. And we, we notice those things and we, we see the tents and we see the people out on the street corners and that sort of thing. And it's, it's noticeable because we're in a new place and, and we don't see it every day and we, and we notice it. But then we, we come back to Cookville and there's a pretty large homeless population in Cookville and we can go into the, the reasons and all of that stuff, but they're still here, right? And maybe, maybe take that off the table if you have a, a difficulty wrapping your mind around that one. But whatever the need is, these people, they, they saw this man and they, they knew this man. They, they are called neighbors of this man, but yet they're, they're unable to recognize that if he's even the same person. That means, in my mind, what that means is when they see him sitting on the street corner or sitting wherever he was normally begging, they didn't look at him very much. They were blinded to the needs. They were right around them that they probably saw, if not every day, very often. They were blinded to this. They, 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 they couldn't believe that this had happened to him. They couldn't accept that, that this man that had been born, not just for a long time, but born his entire life, they couldn't accept that perhaps Jesus had done something. Again, they struggled with this, and they're blinded to the needs. Do we become blinded to the needs of people around us sometimes? In verses 13 through 23, a, a lengthy passage, but let's notice that the religious leaders, specifically here talking about uh, the Pharisees, uh, the, the, the religious leaders were... 
proud to believe. They were blinded by their pride. Let's look at verses 13 uh, through 23. They, that, that is the neighbors, it seems, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day uh, when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Now those of us who are Bible students, we notice, okay, well, I know what the problem is going to be. The Pharisees, uh, the Old Testament law called for a certain amount of work to be done, and the Pharisees took that to to extremes, far beyond anything that God in the old law ever meant. And so what's going to happen? They're going to claim that that Jesus spitting on the ground and rubbing some dirt and the saliva together and putting it on the man's eyes, they're going to equate that with making pottery. And they're going to say, you broke the old law, Jesus, by doing this. And they're going to be blinded by their pride. And listen to this. We're, we're going to read it here in a minute, but I, I want to go ahead and give you a, a sneak peek at what's going to happen. There's going to be a man that the, the neighbors bring to him, and they attest to this man, attest about this man. And later on, they're going to bring this man's parents and this man himself. And all of these people, tens of people, you know, lot, a, a significant amount of people are going to say, hey, this man was born blind, and now he sees. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be more worried about Jesus making pottery than about a blind man seeing. They're blinded by their pride. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. That was a Sabbath day on the day which Jesus made the uh, clay and, and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees were asking him, the blind man, again, how, about how he received his sight. And he said to him, said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, so I washed and I see. So they, so then some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not of God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man do such, uh, such signs? And there was division among him. Again, some of them are saying they, they automatically going to, this man is a sinner because he's not, he's not keeping the Sabbath. But then some of them, some of the Pharisees have a, a soft enough heart or are astounded enough to say, yes, but look, the, the blind man sees. This is amazing. Some of them do apparently appreciate what's going on. Look at verse 17. Therefore, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Then the Jews did not believe it for that. They did not believe that he was blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. So the Pharisees are saying this is some sort of hoax. You're tricking us. You're some disciple, some radical Jesus follower. We don't like Jesus. We know that he's, he's a blasphemer. They, they would have been thinking all of these things, and you're just trying to, 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 to trick us. You're trying to trick the people into believing in Jesus. You couldn't have been born blind. So they call his parents, and it says, um, verse number 20, so his parents answered after, they, after they're asked, hey, is this your son? Was he born blind? How does he now see? Uh, in verse 19, uh, they asked him, we, they say to him, we know that he is our son and that he was born, born blind, but we know that he sees now. Uh, we, we don't know how, he do, how it happens or who opened his eyes. Uh, ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And then verse 22 tells us why. It sounds as if the parents are kind of throwing their son under the bus. And they might be, uh, but, but they're afraid about losing their own religious status. That's what it says in verse 22, that anyone who had uh, proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ or proclaiming that Jesus was, uh, was real and authentic, they were gonna force them out of the synagogue. It'd be like kicking somebody out of church. Okay, uh, so they're afraid of this. They don't want to. They don't want to suffer from their their own religion. So they're they're kind of saying, "Hey, you've asked him already multiple times. Ask him again. He can speak for himself. He is of age." In verse twenty four, therefore, a second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, "Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner." And I love. We, we never. I don't know this man's name. 
the man who was born blind, we don't know his name, but he gets a little snarky. I think in, in the way I read it anyway, he gets a little snarky with these guys who are asking him. This is his third or fourth time he's been asked, hey, how are you seeing? How did you receive his sight, your sight? And even at least the second time that the Pharisees are asking him. And notice what he says in verse 25. He answered then and said, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. He's just amazed. If this was a fourth point, we'd say that the, the man couldn't believe it. How, how, could he, how could he wrap his mind around it, right? I don't know anybody personally, I don't think, uh, certainly not well, somebody who was born blind. I know that, you know, eyesight fails, and, and I know that I've known some people who, who don't see very well now, but they weren't born blind. I can't imagine, though, someone who was born blind or born lame or born deaf, born with, with whatever difficulty they might have, and then all of a sudden they're able to do these things, they're able to see, they're able to, uh, to walk, they're able to hear, uh, any of those types of things. I, I can't imagine the, uh, the emotions that would have been going through their mind, the things that they would be experiencing. He, he can't believe it. But as we go throughout the rest of this chapter, we see quickly that he's thankful and he believes in God, in Jesus specifically. So in verse 25, he says, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered and told them, I already told you, and you didn't listen. Uh, why do you want to listen again? Do you want to become his disciples? Again, this is a little, a little snarky that he's getting to them because he knows that they have no interest in becoming disciples of Jesus. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. Then the man answered and said to them, well, here is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, but yet he's opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Since, listen to this, this, blind, this man born blind, his conclusion, okay? Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Again, there's the importance of the distinction. Jesus, we hear other stories about Jesus healing the blind, but here the man says, we've never heard any stories about someone being born blind, being healed. Why do you think he would know those stories? Probably because he's heard stories about Jesus or perhaps even others healing blind people, but he knows there's a distinction. I was born blind. Can anyone heal me in my ailment? Can anyone heal me in the way that, that I have experienced this? And he says, since the beginning of time, we have never even heard a story about someone who was born blind, but yet he opened my eyes. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And here's the, the, apostle, the, the religious leader's response. Again, notice the hardness of their heart, the blindness because of their pride. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins and you are teaching us. So they put him out again. They're echoing this teaching that we already talked about that, that they think that he is blind. He was born blind specifically because he was born in sin. And again, we know that scripture doesn't teach that. They have a misapplication of a teaching that people do suffer the consequences of sin and those consequences even pass along, pass along generationally. Consequences pass, sin does not pass. Scripture also teaches us that, that the son does not bear responsibility of the father's sins. He does suffer the consequences of the father's sins, but does not bear the responsibility of the father's sins. They, the religious leaders, have this 
misapplication and because of the hardness of their heart, the blindness to the possibility of what Jesus could have done, they've passed that on to someone else. So they put him out. What, is it, what does it mean they put him out? They, they, they probably were meeting in the synagogue. Maybe that simply means they kicked him out of the, the synagogue. They said, we're, we're done talking to you. We don't want to hear from you anymore. Perhaps even more, uh, they, they do and what his parents feared that they would do, that they kick him out of the synagogue completely. You can't come and worship here anymore. You're not welcome to be a worshiper here anymore. That is also perhaps what they said, what it means when he says they put him out. And then we have the, the last part here, verses 35 through 41, where this man is going to interact again with Jesus. And notice, notice the scene here. Jesus heard two things to, to really quickly point out. In verse number one, it says that Jesus saw the blind man. We read about his neighbors the neighbors didn't see the blind man, right? They were blinded to the needs that were right in front of them. Jesus saw the blind man. I, it's interesting. It stuck out to my mind that when we hear about uh, a lot of uh, Jesus' miracles, it's people coming to Jesus. Hey, my child is sick. Hey, this is happening. Hey, this situation. Hey, Jesus, help me, help me, help me. They come to Jesus. And this, it's interesting. Even other times when there are blind people, it's they cry out to Jesus, Jesus, help me. But here, one of a few times, perhaps, maybe one of the only times where Jesus initiates the contact that leads to a healing. Jesus sees the blind man. Jesus sees the blind man. And here, Jesus hears that they had put him out. Again, some of Jesus' interactions are, are, are interesting, I think. Uh, Jesus doesn't stick around after he, he puts the mud on his eyes and tells him to go wash. Jesus doesn't stick around, right? Jesus is gone by the time he gets back, seemingly, uh, and, and he hasn't had an, a chance to interact with him. But now, after he's talked to his neighbors, and he's talked to his parents, and he's talked to the religious leaders, and all of that has resulted in, in negative interactions and in a lot of those instances, verse 35, Jesus heard that they put him out, and after finding him, again, Jesus seeks out this man. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He, the blind man, answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to the blind man, the formerly blind man, You have both seen him, and he is who you are talking to, or who is talking with you. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus says, You have seen him. This is the first time the blind man has seen him. He didn't see him the first time. When they, when they first interacted with each other, he was blind. But now Jesus has made a difference in his life. Jesus seeks him out. And the next time that they interact, he sees him. And he says, you have seen him, and he is who you were talking with. And notice the reaction in verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, seemingly not just to the blind man, but to whatever crowd was surrounding him, as clearly there are some people uh, around him at this time. For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees, maybe even some of the Pharisees who have already interacted with this formerly blind man, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, are we blind too? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say we see, you, your sin remains. So these Pharisees that have already had a, a negative reaction uh, to Jesus' healing and, and to this man's proclamation that he must be a, a prophet, and now this man is, is confessing this belief in, in the, the, the Son of Man, and that's an important Old Testament phrase which would remind uh, certainly the blind man 
Jesus isn't using that phrase by accident. The term and the phrase son of man would, would bring to mind and is a prophetic name for the Messiah, uh, the Christ that the Jews were supposedly been looking for for generation upon generation. So not only is he saying that this man must be a prophet, now he's saying he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. And they say, are we blind? And Jesus' simple answer is, no, you're too proud to be blind. Now that doesn't make sense to us, does it? You're too proud to be blind. Jesus said, I came for judgment into this world so that those who see, or those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. And then they say, are are we blind too? Jesus, we're, we're Pharisees. We're religious people. We know the word. We're teachers. Are we blind? And he says to them, no, you're too proud to be blind. And since you're too proud to be blind, your sin remains. Let's notice four lessons quickly as we close. What four lessons can we take with us and hopefully apply to our lives uh, today? Number one, do you believe, do you trust that God is going to do the right thing? Uh, This morning, I would say most of us here are are Christians or believers or people who have committed our lives to God. And so because of that, we do, we do believe, we do trust. If you're, if you're not a believer, if you're, if you're not a Christian, especially if you haven't committed your life to Christ yet, I would encourage you, I challenge you to give it a try. Give it a try. God has said in his word that he wants to bless and that he will bless the people that follow him. That doesn't necessarily mean financial blessings. That doesn't necessarily mean that everything in your life will go well, but that means that you have a better understanding that no matter what's going on in your life, that God cares about you, he loves you, and that all things will work together for good if you follow him. I encourage you, I challenge you to give it a try, but when I say that, I don't mean a half-hearted try because a half-hearted try is not really trying. If you're going to believe, if you're going to trust that God is who he says he is, you've got to lean into that completely. You've got to really trust God and do the things that he would have you to do. That's what the blind man did when he was blind. This, this guy that he, he couldn't see, he probably, he clearly he, he finds out, he knows that it's Jesus, at least afterward. Uh, so, so he knows that he's Jesus, and this man spits on the ground, makes some clay, and rubs on his, on his eyes, and he's, he's willing enough to give it a try. The, the, man, the man Jesus says, hey, go and wash, and he does. And because of that, because he's faithful, because he is willing to trust in God, he's blessed. I would encourage you this morning, give it a try. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to increase your faith, us to increase our faith and to trust in God more. Number two, uh, we need to make sure that we see others without prejudice and that we see people's needs. Now listen, we, there may not be a teaching today that we use to say, well, this man who's born blind or this who's facing this difficulty. Uh, we, we may not hear from, from a Bible class or, or a sermon or something like that, that, that these people are, 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 because the reason they have these bad things in their life is because they're sinners. But we probably think that kind of thing sometimes, right? You know, if this thing was, if this person was a better person, they wouldn't be in such a bad situation. Even if, and listen, listen really important. Even if they are in a bad situation because they've made bad decisions, doesn't mean that we don't recognize their value and see the needs that they have and try to meet them however we can meet them. Number three, what else can we learn from this? Pray to be blind. And again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us in some ways. You know, we, we, we pray things, or we, we recognize that the Bible teaches that the, God's word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We want to see all of these things are important, but, but here Jesus teaches the Pharisees, Jesus teaches us 
that at the very least we have to have enough humility to recognize that we don't have it all figured out. You can know what you can know. You can know what the Bible says and you can know that's the truth and you should absolutely stand on it and stand for it. But never be too proud to be blinded that you don't know everything. And that there's always more to learn. You see, there's on the screen today, there's been some silly pictures. Maybe the kids have enjoyed them a little bit. But that's a serious point. Don't be blinded by pride, even in your knowledge of Scripture or your relationship with God. And number four, what's the last lesson that we might can take with us this morning? Uh, last lesson is, there's good news. Uh, Jesus, when he saw this blind man, his, his disciples, the ones who had been following Jesus for some time, they looked at him and, and they didn't see much value. They didn't see much value uh, culturally. He couldn't work. He was a beggar. Listen, when you see people standing on the street corner begging for money, what's your thought about them? The apostles had the same thought about this man. Had the same kind of thoughts about this man. They didn't see much value. They didn't see much value in this man. They didn't see it culturally and they didn't see it spiritually because they said, well, you know, he wouldn't be in that situation if he wasn't a sinner or his parents weren't sinners. And maybe we would think, well, you know, the people in that situation, they wouldn't be there if they hadn't caught up and gotten caught up in this activity or hung around those people or did these things. And all of that in some ways might be absolutely true, but that doesn't diminish the value that Jesus places upon them. Jesus saw the man, recognized his needs. And tried to meet those needs. And challenges his disciples to do similar things. This morning, uh, the people out there, everybody out there, and the people in here, whether, wherever you're at this morning, whether you have been a faithful Christian for decades or for a day, or you're not a faithful Christian, or whether you are a Christian or are not a Christian and you're caught up in sin, and if everybody knew, if, if I knew everything about you or you knew everything about me, we'd both be ashamed? If we knew everything about one another, we might be ashamed? Wherever you're at, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And that's the good news that he made a way for that relationship to happen in spite of anything and everything you've done. He loves you. And because of that, he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, was put in the grave, and resurrected three days later. That's the good news. Now, the difficult news is, he tells you, he's, he's done the work, Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the good news that there's hope of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. The difficult news is, is that he still expects you to change your life. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just be your Savior. He demands to be your Lord. He demands to be the one that you will live your life in according to, to his teachings, to live a life like him, to do the things that he would have you to do. He knows that you won't do it perfectly. That's why he died for you. He's not expecting perfection. Did you hear me? He's not expecting perfection. If you've been a Christian for 50 years, he's not expecting perfection. If you're not a Christian yet and you're living in sin and, and, and vile, evil sin, he doesn't expect perfection from you. You're incapable of perfection. But he does expect you to faithfully 
in all trust, follow him. This morning, if you're not a Christian, it's not an easy life, but it's far easier than living in sin. And there's far more blessings in this life and in the life to come. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that some 2,000 years ago, Jesus saw a blind man and healed him? Do you believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and rose again? Will you follow him as not only Savior, but the Lord of your life? If you're not a Christian this morning, if you believe those things about Jesus, will you name him as your Lord and start today trying to change your life and living for God more completely, allowing God to work within you as you work with God to become more of who he wants you to be? Will you submit to baptism where all of your sins, whatever they are, however bad they might be, all of your sins are washed away and completely forgotten in the mind of God. And he would looks at you as a pure and spotless child of God. If you want to be a Christian today, so does God and so do we. If we can help you in that, we'd invite you to let us know those things. Brothers and sisters, we all struggle and we all know that. Let's make the changes we need to make. And if you need help making those changes, let us know those things. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.